as a kid, as a kid, the opportunities to obtain cash were few and far between. It was sad. I mean, there was, there was your birthday. You could get some birthday bucks, and then maybe a little bit at Christmas, stuffed in a sock or new underwear. Woo! Um, but in my family, the bonanza for cash was Easter Sunday, because we would all load in the car after church, and we would go to Grandpa Vanderpool's house. Grandpa Vanderpool loved hiding money in Easter eggs, and you could hit the kid lotto on Easter Sunday. It was just amazing. The downside is that as a kid, as a kid, your mom and dad had the power of veto. I mean, you couldn't just go out and spend the money any way you wanted. They had a say in how that money was going to be spent, and they could determine whether or not you even got to go to the store. So I remember as a kid thinking, man, I cannot wait to have my own money. I mean, can some of you remember that? I mean, I can't wait. Now that I've been making money for over 20 years, I got to say, it's not as great as I imagined. (laughs) It's not. On, On any given month, on any given month, there are 40 to 60 withdrawals and four deposits. For those of you good at math and ratios, that's a 10 to 1 ratio. Money is leaving my hands 10 times quicker than it's coming in. 10 to 1. And, uh, and I also, as a grown-up, I face taxes. The beautiful thing about being a pastor in America is that the government says you are self-employed. So I get to pay the 15.5% self-employment tax. That goes off the top. There's no deductions, no adjustments, no anything. Just send in your money. Thank you. Bing! And it makes me want to cry. And then there's the mortgage, and that's about 20 cents out of every dollar, okay, that goes out. And then there's health insurance. This last week, I got done writing checks uh, to Sentara for uh, $650, uh, because Maddie had to go to the emergency room when she was at Grandma and Grandpa's house this summer. So, and there's another like 200 or 300 I'm waiting to come in that they haven't sent me the bills. And you know, there are moments, and I just want to go, wah! Don't you ever do that when you got your money stuff or it's bill paying time and you go, wah! Okay, do you, of course you feel that pain from time to time. If you're a teenager and you're here today and, and you're like, yes, I cannot wait to have money of my own. I want to let you in on a secret about your parents. If you're 20, 22, I want to let you in on a secret about your parents. They hate bill paying time. They do. They hate it because when they get at that computer or with that checkbook, there's a sound. This is the sound. It's a giant sucking sound. Like sucking the money out. And that's what happens. Few Americans that I know at the end of a bill-paying time go and say to their spouse, Honey, honey, that went really well. In fact, that went so well, I'm going to go ahead and do next month. <laughs> few people, few people do that, okay? In fact, <clears throat> in fact, if you're a teenager, I want you to ask permission to sit in on the next bill-paying event. Ask to sit next to mom or dad as they're paying bills. Watch their body language observe, listen to the sounds that emanate from their mouth. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) You may have to, you know, engage the NBC feature. Boop! (laughs) Okay? But 
are they happy? Are they stressed? Okay, most of us, most of us in the gym today couldn't wait to get our own money that we could spend any way we wanted to. The unfortunate thing is that that freedom hasn't always taken us to the best destinations. Um, And if you're not out on your own financially, I want to let you in on something that may surprise you and dismay you a little bit. If you're already out in the adult world, the college world, the money-making world, I want to I remind you of something that you may have forgotten, and that is this. There is still someone who wants to have a say in your money and stuff, and it's not your mom, it's not your mother-in-law, it's not your spouse, okay? I, today, I want to talk about this word, stewardship. Uh, it's perhaps, I think, the least understood idea or truth in the Bible, Most people don't understand it, and yet it's the single most important part of your life in heaven based on what the Bible teaches us. And so so that you don't miss it and so that uh, we all understand what, what it is, here's today's bottom line in a nutshell. Here it is. All of our stuff and money comes from God with an expectation that we will use that for God's purposes in our future. All of our money and stuff comes from God with an expectation that we'll use it for His purposes in our future. The biblical word for this is stewardship. It's actually a Greek word, oikonomos, okay? Um, and if you've been born again, if you've been adopted as a son or daughter in God's family, you are a steward. Jesus called you a steward, a manager. Jesus called me a manager. And so let's get into the biblical text today, and that's Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and we're going to be in the first 13 verses. Okay, Luke chapter 16. Let's throw that first verse up on on the board there. Um, Jesus told this story to his disciples. A rich man hired a manager to handle his affair. Oh, we don't have it up yet. Okay, well, a rich man hired a manager to handle his affairs. And the word there for manager is oikonomos. It's actually a combination of two words. Oikos, does that sound familiar, generations? Yeah. Household, extended family. And then another Greek word, nemein, which means to manage. It's one who manages a household, a household manager. That's an oikonomos. Uh, It's where we get the word economy from. Oikonomos, economy. There you go, okay? So um, a manager is not an owner. A manager is simply someone who the stuff and money belongs to somebody else, uh, and that's a manager, okay? So, a rich man hired a manager to handle his affairs, but, the second part of verse 1, soon a rumor went around that the manager was thoroughly dishonest. Here's what played out. The owner is out in the morning at the country club, and one of his buddies comes up to him, an acquaintance, and says, hey... You know, it's none of my business, but you know, uh, that manager that you have, I, I think they've been making bad transactions with your money. Doesn't think a thing about it. Later on in the day, the guy is out, the owner is out in the marketplace, maybe at the city gates, conducting business. Another business acquaintance of his comes up and says to him, hey, look, <clears throat> I know it's none of my business, but that manager of yours, look, dude, he is stealing you blind. You better do something about it. Well... The guy calls the manager in, and that's verse 2. So the employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about your stealing money from me? Get your report in order because you're going to be dismissed. Now, the word used for stealing and whatnot is actually the same word in the Greek used in the story of the prodigal son and it, with what the prodigal son did with the father's money. It means wasted or squandered. 
And, and Jesus used this, the same word here in this parable of the shrewd manager. So the manager says, hey, you're fired. In 24 hours, you're done. Over the next 24 hours, I want you to pull all the books, all the records, because we're going to need those for your replacement. Thank you. All right, so verses 3 and 4 uh, is the manager thinking, what am I going to do? Ah! Okay, because there was no unemployment back then. Verse 3, the manager thought to himself, now what? I'm through here, and I don't have the strength to go out and dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. I know just the thing, and then I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me when I leave. He comes up with a plan that will make friends who will be sympathetic to him and welcome him into their homes when he's kicked out on the street. And so he enacts his plan in verses 5, 6, and 7. Here's the next part. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, tear up that bill and write another one for 400. Huh? Yeah, 400. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. A thousand bushels of wheat was the reply. Well, here, said the manager. Take your bill and replace it with this one for only 800 bushels. Wow, what a reduction, okay? I, I know you're like, bushels, olive oil, I don't get it. Well, let's say that you had a Visa card debt that was going to take you three years to pay off. And Visa calls you and says, you know what? You've been randomly selected for our Win a Gazillion Dollars program. And we're reducing your debt by half. And so instead of three years, it's only going to take you a year and a half to pay this back. Would you be happy? Yes, you would. You'd be like, ah, oh, I won the Visa Lotto. <laughs> okay? So the amounts in these two instances um, uh, equate to roughly one to three years' wages for the typical laborer in this, in this economy. And so uh, the point is it's a significant amount of money. Some commentators think that what the guy was doing was simply writing off his commission, reducing the debt by the amount that he would have gotten to keep as the oikonomos, as the manager. Whatever the reason, the amount is significant. Well, at this point, right, the disciples are listening to this story, and they're thinking, man, what a crook. I can't wait to hear what is going to happen to him, okay? So Jesus continues the story. So the rich man called in the Roman soldiers who threw the man in jail where he rotted and died and his body was eaten by worms. No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? The rich man had to admire? What? Hello? Yes, the rich man had to admire uh, the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true that the citizens of this world are more shrewd than the godly are admired, commended? Yeah, Jesus isn't commending the dishonesty. He's commending the way in which the man planned for his future. The guy was amazing. He had a plan for his own future, and he walked it out. And then you could kind of paraphrase that next part of the verse this way. People of the world give a lot more care to their physical well-being than the righteous do their spiritual well-being. And then he goes on and talks about it some more. Um, and Jesus lays out three things about this manager and about you and me who are also managers. And I'm going to use this alliterative thing, which is going to remind you of old-fashioned preaching days, which I took it from an old-fashioned preacher guy, okay? And he says that, uh, and his name is Wesley of all things, okay? So Wesley says of this parable, he says, there are three things that you ought to know about being a steward. 
It's a tool, it's a test, and it's a trademark. Alliteration, okay? So verse 9 is the tool part, okay? Verse 9, Jesus says this, I tell you, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. Jesus is telling us specifically to leverage our money and stuff so that when we get to heaven, we'll encounter people, and this will be the scenario that plays out. Oh, hey, you don't know me, um, but uh, I accepted Jesus in Asia, and it was, you know that $20 a month you sent to gospel for Asia? Like, there was a traveling person who came through my town, and I heard about the claims, and I I surrendered. I just got to say thank you. Or you'll run into somebody, and they'll be like, you don't know me, but that bed that you donated that week... My son was killed in a car accident, and, you know, the, the mom was just out on drugs, et cetera, and I had to raise the kid. I didn't have a bed. I didn't have money for it, and, and it was like God provided exactly what we needed that moment. Thank you. See, we're going to run into people in heaven, and those are going to be some of the situations that play out. And Jesus says, you want to be accepted and welcomed into that environment. You want people glad to see you because of how you've prepared for it, invested. So money and stuff is a tool And then he talks about how it's a test in verses 10, 11, and 12. And Jesus says this, Unless you're faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's money, why should you be trusted with money of your own? And through this kind of convoluted thing, Jesus is saying it's a test. What God gives you and God gives me is actually a twofold test. One part of the test is so that God can know who's the master of your life. Is it money and stuff or is it me? The other part of the test is to determine how much responsibility you and I are going to have in heaven. Um, if it's ever struck you uh, this way, it struck me. When you live in America, you're, you're constantly bombarded with the fact that there are people who have more than you. Have you noticed that? They have bigger houses. They drive new cars and they trade them in every year. And then their income has like lots of zeros to the left of the decimal. <laughs> okay? And, 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 and so there's, all, and, it's, and it's like unfair. Well, Jesus, how come you gave them more? That's not fair. And so there's this unfairness. And, and for many of us who follow Jesus, we have this mistaken idea in the back of our heads that heaven will be this sort of communism and it will all be equal and level. And the weird thing is that everything that we read about in heaven in the Bible says that it will be somewhat similar to earth in the sense that there will be different levels of responsibility and different levels of reward. And the reward and responsibility in heaven is actually linked to what you and I do with this money and stuff that God gives us here. Um, I don't know about you, but that motivates me because I'm like, I don't want to have like an outhouse <laughs> and I don't want to be the lowest person on the totem pole and I don't want to have to be explaining to everybody, yeah, God gave me a lot. I didn't do anything with it. You know, I want to, I want to, be, I want to be pleased with what I did. I want God to be pleased with what I did. Okay? And so um, then in verse 13 is the trademark. And Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I mean, you'd think the opposite of money would be like Satan, right? You cannot serve God and Satan. That would make sense. But he says God and money. It's this trademark. If, if you have an iPhone, all you have to do is take it out, and everyone around you, you know, they get on, 
they get on one knee, don't they? See, Seth pulled his out, okay? We're not worthy, okay? And, you know, okay, it's, it's branded. You don't even have to turn it on. Everyone around you knows. Oh, iPhone. Okay, and the angels start singing. Or if you stop by and get a cup of coffee at Starbucks in that white cup with the green print and the brown little thing they put around it so you don't scald your hand, and you go to the office or your place of work and you plunk it down, all people have to do is look at your cup. They know exactly where you got that coffee, don't they? Because it's branded. It's distinctive. It's clearly identifiable. The thing about being a good steward is that it's a trademark. When you're a good steward with what God has given you, other people look at you and it's so distinctive. They go, oh, oh, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. You know, everybody did that with Mother Teresa, right? You couldn't deny it. It was like everybody. It was like, oh, yep, Jesus right there, pure and simple. Can't miss it. Woo! (laughs) Okay? So it's a trademark. And so everything that we have, everything, every penny, uh, every item, uh, everything has been given to us by God. God owns it all. You and I are just managers. We're just stewards. We're oikonomoi. We're managers. Okay? And so here's what I want to draw out from this parable today. I've got some homework assignments too, okay? So this will be cool stuff. In this parable, the shrewd manager did something many Americans haven't. He devised a plan. He had a plan for what he was going to do. In the realm of money, we call money plans a budget. Now, most Americans don't have a budget, and that word, you know, your eyes you go in the back of your head, and you're like, uh, uh, uh. You know, it's like somebody's jolting you with electricity. Uh, but budget, budget, okay? But I want to suggest something this morning that may strike you as odd, but is actually biblical, and that is this. Having a budget is a spiritual exercise. It is, because it just means you have a plan, okay? And so here's your first homework assignment. Ted, can you start handing these out? Um, I know it's the electronic age, but I just can't afford to buy you all copies of Quicken. I can't, okay? It would cost me lots of money that I don't have at the moment. But I can print off pieces of paper relatively inexpensively with being a good steward with what I have. And so what I'm giving you now is a 30-day expense tracking form. So here's, here's what I want you to do in the month of October. Here's your first homework assignment. I want you to be able to, on Halloween know exactly where your money went. Why would I ask you to do that? Well, if you're going to have a plan, you have to first know where you are. And knowing where you are means knowing where all the money's going, you know, when you have those bill paying events. And then you block it out of your memory within an hour afterward, okay? I don't know. I th- it's all paid, I think, okay? So it's, it's got, it's, it's, this is really simple. It's by category. It's, it's on one sheet. It's, you know, if you get this from Dave Ramsey, his is seven pages, okay? So I've taken Dave and simplified it, <laughs> all right? So I want you to track, and the thing about tracking your expenses is that it might be painful. On Halloween, you might look at it and go, <laughs> okay, and feel like you need to see your heart doctor. Or... You might look at it and you might be, man, honey, you're not going to believe that. You know, we're doing pretty good, okay? Either way, it's going to be enlightening. And I want you to do this because I want you to know where you are. Um, if, you're in the, if you already know your expenses, like you're a quick and junkie, okay? And not only do you know that, you could tell me exactly how much money went in and out last month. You just know it. And you, could, you have it down to the penny. If you're one of those and you know and you have a budget and you're living on it, then I have another suggestion for you. And that suggestion is this. 
would you consider revising your plan and doing more for God in the next six months? And here's why. Um, Rick Warren wrote a book a few years ago called The Purpose Driven Life. And I've shared this example before at Generations, but there's enough of you that haven't heard it. I want you to hear this. When he wrote that book, he had no idea it would become the bestseller that it was. And when it did, it brought him millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. Overnight, he became a millionaire. It doesn't surprise me at all that that happened to him. Do you want to know why? Because over the years, quietly, with no one knowing, Rick and Kay Warren upped their plan. They started off giving back to God 10%, and then every year they would increase it by one or two percentage points. So that by the time that the windfall of the purpose-driven life had hit, he was giving away somewhere between 30 and 45% of his gross income on an annual basis. No one knew but Rick and Kay Warren, but God knew. And God was, remember the whole thing about a test? God was like, there's somebody I can count on to leverage stuff the way I want it to. And just opened the floodgates of heaven, and it was like, whoa, I'm a millionaire! Okay? So... If you're one of those people and you've got a plan and you've got a budget, I'm telling you, if you show that you're trustworthy, God's like, hey, open heaven gate four uh, right there, okay? Because he's looking for people that he can count on to leverage money and stuff toward his purposes. Here's the second homework assignment. I know there's like two in one Sunday, okay? This, this is a quit claim deed. If you have uh, made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you're an adopted son or daughter into God's family, I want you to consider doing something that you may not have done that, and that is yet, and that is this. Would you consider giving up your claim and your rights to the money and stuff that you have? Uh, We did this five or six years ago, and uh, I remember it always blessed me, Charlotte. Every time I went into your house, Charlotte had this plunked. She and Katie had signed it, and they had listed all the stuff that they had. And it was right there on the family fridge. Not our stuff. It's God's, okay? So, you know, you can put it on your family fridge. And I would encourage you to include the kids. And here's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're thinking, Max, I'm there. Where do I sign? You can have them now at the end of church. They're yours. They're God's. Oh, hallelujah. Free at last. Okay. Here's what I mean. For the kids who are old enough to understand this stuff, we're talking about stewardship in G-Town and, and, and kid stuff all month long too. They've already heard that God owns everything. If they're old enough and mature enough, they might be at a place where they would be ready. And the funny thing is kids are often more open than grown-ups. You might be surprised, but it would be a great conversation to have and let them fill out their own quick claim deed form and give back to God everything that's in their room and all the stuff that God has given them. Uh, and that could be a cool thing. Here's a couple of questions that I have as related to um, the quick claim deed and, and as it relates to God's ownership. Here's a question. And we say at Generations, we like to ask questions. Uh, am I using the money, this, this money, or am I using this item for God or for myself? And here's another question you could pepper uh, your day day with. How could I use this money? How could I use this car, this phone, this bed for God and his purposes? And whenever you acquire or get something new, it's a great opportunity to go, God, this is yours. Because sometimes God teaches you the the hard way. I remember the first brand new car that we got. 
Um, and I've told this story before at Generations. We went up to visit mom and dad, and we parked in a parking lot, and when we came back out, the car had been keyed. I didn't get it repaired. You want to know why? Because it was like, for me, it was God saying, now whose car is this? Because I obsessed it. You know, I made sure it sparkled everywhere it went that first week or two. And then after that, it was like, oh, okay, it's God's car. I still cleaned it, but <laughs> it wasn't mine, and I didn't have angst over it. Okay, so uh, that's something that you could do. All of our stuff, all of our money comes from God with an expectation that we're going to use it for his purposes and for our future. And the thing is, when you and I get to heaven, we're going to be asked questions like this. Where did it go? Where did it go? What did you spend it on? What did you accomplish for eternity with all the things that God entrusted to you? And the thing is, I want to see all of you there. I do. I do. I want to see. Hello. So if you haven't jumped the fence yet, you know, no, I want to see you there. I want to see all of you there. And selfishly, I want to have some responsibility in heaven. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know there's going to be stuff to do, work, responsibility. I want God to know that he can count on me to be dependable. And you know what? I want that for you too. At the end of your life, when you're on the other side, I want you to be pleased with what you did with what God gave you. And I want God to be pleased because that's going to, that's going to make a difference in your heart and in your life in the hereafter. Can I pray for